The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. How many of you would say, I love studying? I'm a scholar. My GPA is somewhere in the 3.8, 4.0 range. And I love the books. I, I love studying. I, I love being a student. I enjoy uh, that. It's not difficult for me. Maybe you don't really enjoy it necessarily, but it's just not difficult for you. Uh, you say, I'm a student, 4.0, uh, or, or in the ballpark, would you raise your hand? How many of you are like that here? You're not bragging. This is just who you are, and the rest of us hate you now, okay, just for the record. <laughs> and uh, my wife is like that. It just comes natural. I have a photographic memory as well. I'm just out of film, and, uh, but she, <laughs> she doesn't, and, uh, and I'm, I, that's pretty cool. Now, now all, although you're a 4.0 student or, or uh, close to that, uh, would you say that there's ever been a time in your life where you did miss a question on a test? Or, or could you literally say, I have never missed a question, I have never had a wrong answer on a quiz, I have never missed a deadline, I have gotten every answer, every quiz, every question right every single time. I don't think anybody in the room could raise their hand and say, hey, uh, yeah, I'm a 4.0 student and I've never missed a single question in my life. Fair enough? How many athletes do we have today? Again, you're not bragging. You may be a self-proclaimed athlete or you actually do play on a team, uh, but you love sports. You love to play sports. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Where are all of our athletes here at Pensacola Christian College? Good to see you today. And uh, let me ask a question. If you're an athlete today, have you um, made every shot that you've taken? Have you hit every goal that you attempted? Have you made every putt? Have you caught every pass? Have you knocked every ball out of the, uh, out of the park? I, I would say not. So what you're telling me is there, although you're an athlete, there are some imperfections. Although you're a student, you have been wrong before. Can I ask this question one more if I could? Um, how many of you are musicians? You like to play instruments. Would you raise your hand? I love music. I love singing. I love harmony. I love playing the guitar. I love music. And so, um, for all of our musicians here, how many of you could say, I have never hit a wrong key? Never. Like, like I'm a prodigy and nobody's recognized that about me yet. I, I, I have never heard the string squeak. If you're a violinist, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, the truth be known, all of us are broken. All of us have the potential to be wrong. All of us, in us lies the ability to have error. Um, the Bible is clear in helping us recognize this truth. Look in your word with me in Matthew chapter number 19, and I want us to see uh, a little story and be encouraged by this story. This young man approaches God in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, he is known to us as a rich young ruler. 
And in Matthew chapter 19, he approaches Jesus Christ and he asks him a question. And I want us to take a moment to look at this because what we're going to find out is although this man is rich and although he's powerful and although he's prominent and although he's religious, he's flawed. And he's flawed tremendously. And I want us to recognize what the Word of God says about this. Matthew chapter 19, let's look together at verse number 16. The Word of God says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? If you know anything about the Word of God, at this moment, we kind of cringe a little bit, just like a dropped pass or just like the squeak of a violin, because we recognize already in the man's question that there is error, there's wrong thinking involved. And I think it would be wise of us to pause for just a minute and ask ourselves, where does wrong thinking come from? How do we get to the, to the place where wrong thinking is so prevalent upon our lips and in our minds, whether in our fingers and in our steps? What is it about wrong thinking that is such a part of who we are? Again, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Where does wrong thinking come from? Number one. Wrong, thing, wrong thinking is something that is created inside of us. The, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Matter of fact, it would be wise of us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Everyone in this room is flawed. Everyone in this room has potential for error. Everyone in this building makes and has made many numerous mistakes, and our thinking sometimes is flawed. Matter of fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs 16 and verse 25. There is a way, are you ready, that seemeth, would you say it with me, right unto man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And, and, and would you say that is true? There have been times in your life where you thought you were right. I am absolutely right. Matter of fact, me and my wife joke about this. We just did it a moment ago in our room preparing to come. She asked a question. I gave her an answer. A little bit later, she asked the question again, and here's what I said. I'm right. You don't have to ask it twice. And we were being funny. I wasn't being arrogant, but we've said that before. I, I, I know I'm right. But the Bible says there is a way which seemeth right in a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, which makes me as an individual recognize that there's potential for wrong thinking. Would you agree with that? Uh, matter of fact, the Bible says in James 1.14, but every man is tempted, ready, when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own desires, his own passions, and enticed. We are sinners, the Bible says our heart is desperately wicked above all who can know it. In me, the Bible says, dwells no good thing. We got to be careful. We have potential for wrong thinking. I've said things to my father before, and my dad goes, well, that's what you get for thinking. When I've made a wrong decision. Several years ago, I mentioned last night that my wife is a coffee snob. 
Several years ago, we're driving uh, down in Phoenix in the Scottsdale area, and it's really known for its coffee. We stopped at a place and uh, picked up a cup of coffee. The place is called Press Coffee. Amazing coffee if you're a coffee snob. I'm not really a coffee snob. I can drink Waffle House or McDonald's or Starbucks. It doesn't matter to me. It's not a big deal. Uh, But she loves her coffee. So most of the time when I go to a coffee shop with her, she'll get the coffee she wants and she'll ask questions. She embarrasses me. I mean, she walks into just about every coffee shop and she says, where are your beans from? And if they can't answer that question, she leaves. That's awkward. And, uh, and so, I mean, just the way, it, not, not, not every time, but, but yeah, that's the way a coffee snob works. So she orders her cup of coffee. She loves pressed coffee. I got me an iced coffee, add cream sugar. You know the deal. We get um, um, out of the parking lot, and by the time we get to the interstate, it's been about five minutes or so, uh, Interstate 10 to take us back to Casa Grande, I've already finished my iced coffee. It's 110 degrees outside. It's hot. I'm thirsty. I look over without thinking, and I pop the lid off my wife's coffee, and I pop the lid off my cup of coffee, and I proceed to pour a portion of her coffee into my cup of ice. Now, now here's what I was thinking at the time. Here's what I was thinking. My wife hardly ever finishes an entire glass of anything. How many of you have a spouse that when you go to a restaurant, you've drunk four or five glasses, but your wife doesn't finish hardly any uh, glass of, of fluid? Thank you. And, 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 and that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking she's probably not going to finish this cup of coffee. I've thrown away more coffee than I think she's drunk. That's what's in my head. And so I poured, and I'll never forget it. We're driving down the interstate. I'm pouring. I pop the lid back on the cup, and then this is what I notice out of my peripheral vision. (laughs) What did you just do? I'm like, I'm... I, I, I drunk all my coffee, and I didn't think you mind. You n- normally don't finish. And her next move was this. I presumed my own thoughts that it would be okay. And let me tell you, since that moment, I have never sipped her coffee. I, I have never taken a drop of it. Why? Um, because I recognized that I had wrong thinking concerning her feelings for coffee. Hey, um, we are bent, by the way, the Bible says, we are bent toward wrong thinking. And this man approaches God. The, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are, they are together become unprofitable. There is none, listen, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. As a matter of fact, Paul is quoting the book of Proverbs where David has already said this in Psalm chapter 14 and verse number 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. All of us are broken. All of us are sinners. All of us are faulty, especially in our thinking. And again, it would be wise as we build the foundation tonight to admit that and to recognize that. 
Wrong thinking is created within us. We are broken people. Number two, culture has influenced it. And by the way, this is not just a matter of opinion. Culture has influenced the wrong thinking that's, each, that's in each and every one of us. It started in the garden when the snake slithered up, and here's what he asked. Hath God said? I mean, really? Did God really say that? And that question has permeated our culture and our society The prince of the power of the air has intertwined it into every bit of thinking that we're involved in in the 21st century. And and can can I suggest this? Because of the access to information, because of the internet, because of social media, and this is not a message against social media, and I am not going to preach against the internet. I'm just saying this. When I was sitting where you were sitting, if I wanted to know something, if I wanted to learn something, if I wanted to get another man's opinion, I had to go to the library. I had to look it up in the card catalog and sometimes pull it off on a little sliver of plastic and place it underneath a magnifying glass so that I could read a news article, and I wasn't about to do that. And so I, if, if I couldn't get it from a buddy or from, uh, from G.I. Joe, I just wasn't going to learn it, right? But we live in a culture where we are permeated with wrong thinking, and it has so inundated who we are. Matter of fact, very interesting uh, statistics. As of 2022, There are 5 billion internet users worldwide. Check this out. 93% of them, that is 4.65 billion people, are on social media. Over 90% of the world is learning what they need to know through the avenue of social media. The population of the U.S. in 2022 is 333.9 million people. Now check this out. 307.2 million of us are internet users. This number jumped by 8.4 million between 21 and 22. Think about that. COVID added 8.4 million more Social media users, there are 270.1 million social media users in the United States. That is a staggering 80.9% of the entire population. And we're wondering why we're a mess. Because into our minds daily... There is information being poured whether we ask for it or not. There are opinions being given and thoughts being shared whether we desire that or not. Our thinking is affected first by what we are, and then secondly, our thinking is affected by the culture that surrounds us. You are, whether you like it or not, and I am a product of the culture in which I live in. It's impacting us whether we like it or not. Our ideologies are being formed by what we read and what we listen to and all those endless hours of videos that we watch. It's affecting our thinking. Thirdly, 
Wrong thinking is impacted because of what I am. We have created it. Secondly, wrong thinking is, is affected by the culture. It has influenced it. But thirdly tonight, religion has falsified it. There's a, there's a lot of wrong thinking being given to people under the umbrella of thus saith the Lord. And it has affected the way we interact in this culture. I watch people tremble when bad things happen to them. And the first question they always ask is, what have I done? Have I made God angry? Because in their mind, they've been taught that the God of heaven is always ready to stomp them no matter what happens in life. And that is false teaching. That's not the God of the Bible. The Bible says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light and he has a heart that is merciful. He's long-suffering. He's kind. He's good. And so many of our thoughts have been formulated by wrong teaching, by religion, by, by telling us that if we work hard enough, God will love us more. If we do more for God, then he'll do more for us. And, and, and that's just not found in the Word of God. And so now watch. We have this man in the Bible who walks up to Jesus himself and he says, what must I do? What must I do to have eternal life? And immediately we can see the impact of the culture of religion, the Jewish ideologies of his day, and even his own desire to make himself feel better about himself has impacted his thinking wrongly. This is the man of Matthew chapter number 19. Now let's watch in the scripture how we can recognize what we're thinking wrongly about. The recognition of wrong thinking. Look at the text with me again, Matthew chapter number 19. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Now here, Jesus is going to adjust wrong thinking. The Bible says, And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. At this moment, God is going to address the, the wrong thinking that this man has about God. So this guy walks up to Jesus Christ and he says this, hey, 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 good master, what must I do to um, inherit eternal life? And here's what Jesus says, well, wait a minute, let, let's address something else first. If you're calling me good, then you're calling me God. That is literally what Jesus Christ is saying. There is only one that's good, and so if you're addressing me as good, I'm more than just a master. I'm more than just a teacher. There is only one that is good. There is only one that is righteous. There's only one that is perfect. There's only one that is holy, and that is God. And so everything that flows out of this mouth from this point forward is going to be right. And before you and I can move any further in our faith, We've got to have a right understanding of God. And God has never hid himself from us. Since Adam, he's been trying to reveal himself by walking with us in the cool of the day. And when man was exceedingly evil and he wipes him off the planet, he finds one that has grace in his eyes and continues his loving care through him. And even when they tried to build a tower to be good and smart and great like God, you know what he did? 
He confounded them. He scattered them. Why? So that his name might be known and not theirs. And if that wasn't enough, when the people were scattering across the countryside and there were nations being formulated and civilizations being built, you you know what God did? He picked a man named Abraham and he said, Abraham, through you, I'm going to reveal myself and bless my people. Listen, God has always wanted to know you. He's always wanted to reveal himself to you. That's why he set aside the Jewish people. He didn't pick a great nation, the Bible says. He picked a humble people so that through humility he could show him great. And when the Jews failed him, you know what he did? He sent his darling son to be a representation of his father. He looks at his own disciples and he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, Philip. And then he didn't stop there. And many of you are sitting in this room tonight wondering what is the big deal about the church. Let me tell you what the big deal about the church is. We are the representation of the God of the universe today. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's a big deal that we recognize who he is and remove wrong thinking. The power of this passage, the story. Jesus says you're, you're thinking wrongly about God. Number two. You're thinking wrongly about yourself. Look at verse number 18. Actually, let's back up to verse 17. And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith which? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lacketh I yet? Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking about himself. Thinking of himself a little higher than he ought. See, in the Jewish culture, here's what is interesting about being rich. In the Jewish culture, being wealthy signified in their minds the blessings of God. If one was wealthy, he was considered to have had the hand of God upon him. And so that the fact that this man was wealthy and he approaches Jesus about eternal life, he probably, based upon wrong thinking, has already assumed that he might be okay. And then he goes a step further and says, hey, I have done my best to keep the law. I am such a good person. I mean, I try not to dishonor my parents, and and I've done a good job not doing that, and I'm not a liar. I've never committed adultery. But but if you remember with me, Jesus Christ addresses this in Matthew chapter 5. When, if I can, can I tie last night with tonight? When Jesus says, if you look at a woman to lust after her in your, your heart, you've committed adultery already with her in your your heart, it, it doesn't mean I haven't done an act with the woman uh, outwardly and physically. God said it's so much more than that. It's out of the heart. And here's what this man did not recognize. He, he just thought that maybe my good deeds and all the good things that I've done and the fact that I'm a Baptist and I'm, a, I'm attending Pistacola Christian College and I've done a good job in the youth group and I study real hard and I play instruments 
I was on my ball team. I'm good. And the Lord wants him to understand who he is. God is pulling out for this man to see what we would call the Ten Commandments. There is one missing, but it's the Ten Commandments. As we learned last night, the Ten Commandments are really broken up into two parts. We call these the vertical commandments. They're the first four between me and God. The last six are the horizontal commandments. They're the commandments between me and man. That's when uh, the lawyer said, hey, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus Christ did not get it wrong when he says there are two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, might, or strength. We understand that. Which means this, God, you're everything. I'm going to have no other gods before me. And I'm never going to take any earthly thing and try to form it to be you. And I'm going to be careful never to take your name in vain, to only use it in a way that is reverent to who you are. And God, I'm going to take a day and set it apart to rest and to worship you. Why? Because I love you. Secondly, I love people. The second is like unto this. Love thy neighbor as what? Thy, thyself. Which means this, I, I, I'm not going to commit adultery with somebody that is not my wife. I'm not going to lie to people. I'm, I'm not going to take people's things. I'm going to love them. I'm not going to covet what they have. I'm going to be grateful for what God's given to me. I'm, I'm going to love them. And Jesus Christ is trying to help this man to see where he's failed. Sir, you love you. And that's bad thinking. Notice what he says, I have kept all of these things from my youth up. Recognition of wrong thinking about God, recognition of wrong thinking about ourselves, and then thirdly, recognition of the wrong thinking about what really matters. Notice what the text says. The Bible goes on to say, after he says, I've done this from my youth up, notice what the Word of God says, Jesus said unto him, if thou will be perfect... Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. You do recognize and understand that Jesus Christ is not telling this man if he's really good that he can get to heaven, or if he gives money to poor people, he can get to heaven. What he's doing, he's getting at the man's heart and his mind. You need to see yourself the way I see you. And the Bible says when he heard this, he walked away sorrowful because he had Great possessions. We need to be sure we're thinking rightly about what really matters. And it's amazing to me, although we technically are not raised in a culture where we believe works saves us, it's interesting that we still kind of lean on that as if that's the saving factor, that's the glue that's holding me together, that's where I've got my confidence. But the truth be known, the Bible says this, the only way you, can, you and I can have eternal life is, is if Jesus is supreme. If I turn from me and who I am unto what really matters, and that is God. And that is the difference maker. And the Bible says that this man turns and walks away from this. He was not willing to surrender to God everything. He was not willing to give everything to Christ to say yes to him. The response to right thinking. 
Notice what happens in the text next. Yes, yes, the story is about the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. But I don't really know if that's the complete audience that Jesus Christ is working with. Because watch what happens in the next passage. The Bible says this. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man can hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. In this passage, the disciples were a little confused. And here's what they're saying, okay? If a rich man can't make it, us poor folk definitely can't make it. If a rich man who supposedly has the blessings of God can't get in, us poor people, we're definitely not getting in. Who then can be saved? If rich people that seem to have the blessings of God can't be saved, then can a poor man be saved? And here's what God is teaching not only the rich man, but these disciples at the same time is this. In order to have right thinking, we've got to humble ourselves before an almighty God. We've got to be willing to say, God, I am nothing and you are everything. I cannot save me. I can't be rich enough. I can't be the goody two-shoes enough. I can't be popular enough. I can't save me. And God, I'm going to humble myself to start thinking rightly about who you are and about who I am and about what really matters. The Bible says in verse number 23 and 24 that Jesus said a rich man can hardly enter. He didn't say that he could not. He said it would be difficult. Matter of fact, he goes on to say this. It would be easier, the Bible says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. There have been so many speculations about this passage. I mean, is he really talking about trying to thread a camel through a sewing needle of the 21st century? Or maybe does the word camel have such similarity to the Hebrew word for rope, camel? Or maybe it's that story we've heard about the gates of Jerusalem, and at night they would shut the large traveling gates, and then uh, they would open up the smaller gate, and that little gate was actually known as the needle's eye. And as travelers would come toward the city gates, um, recognizing their camel could never get through the gate, a process had to take place. For the camel to get through the gate, something unusual and humbling for the camel had to happen. First of all, it would have to remove all of its baggage, and that would have to be laid aside. The camel would then be buckled to his knees, and the owner would work it and squeeze it through the the needle's eye. All of these stories are speculations. 
But I think the truth of the text is clear for us to see. What seems impossible to you and me is not impossible with the God of the universe who gave his life upon the cross of Calvary and shed his blood so that our wrong thinking, our sins, our wrongdoings could be covered. And it may seem impossible to come up with enough money or to do enough good deeds or to be sharp enough, but it's not impossible with God. And if you're sitting here today, I don't know where you're at, but here's what God's wanting to do. He's wanting to change your thinking about who He is, about what you are, and about what really matters. And if you'll humble yourself, And notice next, the Bible says here, secondly, and believe. Trust God. Put your faith and rest in Him. When God designed His creation within His sovereignty, here's what He said in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and 27. He said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let's make man with some characteristics like we have. That trichotomy of God and more. Let let us make man to represent us. And within that sovereignty, he gave us the ability to choose or to not choose him. He gave us the ability so that when he reveals truth and himself, we have the um, responsibility to believe. Matter of fact, all of Scripture is permeated with this weaving of believing in it. Over and over again, God revealing himself so his people would believe him, proving himself so that they would put their faith and trust in him. And this is what needs to happen. The Bible says in verse number 25, if you'd read it with me, when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible, ready? But with God, all things are possible. There are no errors. There are no faulty marks. He never misses the mark. Isaiah chapter 55 in verse 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. We serve a God that is so much bigger, and he wants us to put our faith and trust and believe in him. And I keep hearing this. In 22 years of ministry, I've heard this so often over the last couple of years. Well, I'm just trying to figure God out. And when I get God all figured out, then I'll put my faith and trust in Him. Can I tell you something? If you can figure God out, you ought to be God. God cannot be figured out. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And if I could be like Him and completely understand all of Him, then I deserve to be God. But I'm not the maker of the ends of the earth. I'm his loving creation that he has over and over and over again revealed himself to me so that I could know what I needed to know. So that I could put my faith and trust in him. And so many of us are sitting here today trying to figure God out and get it all worked out in our mind. And if I could just, this this faith is just too simple. No, it's not. It's a wonderful God who loves you and gave himself for you who wants you to know him and understand him. That's what it's all about. Thirdly, he wants you to just follow. 
The Bible says in verse 19, or excuse me, verse 27, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That is the promise to those twelve apostles. And, I love this, look at verse 29, and every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. How beautifully that ties in to last night. God, I give you my heart that is influenced by my mind. As I think rightly about you, I surrender who I am to you. God, I trust you. I'm going to follow you. And for all who do that, everlasting life, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And for us who are already saved, those that trust him and follow him. We'll see what we, were, what we heard about from Psalm chapter 16 tonight in song. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. There are blessings forevermore. What an amazing thought. Young person, God loves you. And what has your heart controls your thinking. But it's your mind that influences your heart. Once you let something have control of your heart, it controls your thinking. If you don't believe that's so, ask that boy that is passionately in love with that girl. It doesn't matter what you tell him. His heart is now controlling his thinking, whether she's good or bad. Whatever has your heart controls your thinking. But here's the crazy thing. It's your mind. It's the influence of your mind that impacts your heart. College student, it is high time that God's people fall in love with truth once again. This is where we build our thinking. This is where we adjust wrong thinking. By the transforming and the renewing of our mind, we set our affections on things above, not on things below. It's just amazing to me again how we get locked up here and we can't see further to see what God is doing and what he's trying to do. Many of us are familiar with Hurricane Katrina, August 30th, 2005. Everybody began to prepare, even the campus prepared for that night. New Orleans began to prepare as well. The Coast Guard was dispatched, and as the storms came in, they began their procedures. A man by the name of Ian McConnell was asked to work that evening when he wasn't planning on doing so. He got to the National Coast Guard station, began to suit up and prepare, jumped in a helicopter and headed out. And he told the story 
that on his first three missions, they saved 89 people, three dogs, and a cat. I would have left one of those out of the list personally. 89 people, three dogs, and a cat. The story is told on his fourth mission, they went into the inner city area of New Orleans. And on that ride, with all the fuel spent and the winds blowing and the rains coming and the time given, the waters rising within the city as it sat below sea level. People had climbed out of their building. They were hanging from balconies up on rooftops of houses. They would lower the basket, and here's what they said. I think we're fine. Just bring some food. Hey, how about some cases of bottled water? Ian McConnell testifies that on that fourth mission into New Orleans, into the inner city area, they took no one home. No one got in the basket. No one was brought to safety. Because people sat in the security of their rooftops, which they thought would be all they need, thinking that all they really needed was just a little water and food, when what they really needed was a rescue. And you say, how? Honestly, I thought this. How? Really? That's ridiculous. People died that night. They drowned. And yet, we will sit in a congregation like this with a basket lowered and our thinking will tell us, I got all I need. Just, Just give me a little more of this and a little more of that and I'll be fine. And that's not true. It's just wrong thinking. We need Christ. We need his word. We need him. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.